welcome back to the Play On Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Stavros. Today we'll be speaking to John Wescovich and John Plumpus. John Wescovich has a BFA in musical theater from Park Point University. John has performed at the Pittsburgh Civic Light Opera, where he's appeared in Murder for Two, the Piper Theater, the Quantum Theater, and the Pittsburgh Irish and Classical Theater. He's also appearing this season in Murder for Two as The Suspects. John Plumpus has previously appeared at the festival in The Comedy of Errors and Richard III. He's appeared on the Broadway tours of The Lion King, Neil Simon's Laughter on the 23rd Floor, and Barrymore starring Christopher Plummer. His off-Broadway credits include The Actors' Company Theater, Playwrights Horizons, Roundabout, Primary Stages, Mint Theater Company, and the New York Musical Theater Festival. He's also appeared at Yale Rep, Shakespeare Theater in Washington, D.C., Pioneer Theater, Portland Center Stage, Colorado Shakespeare, Flat Rock, Playmakers, Missouri Rep, and many more. He's appeared on television in The Good Wife, Law & Order SVU, and Seventh Heaven, and in the films Barrymore and Till There Was You. John and John, welcome to the Play On Podcast. <laughs> Hello. I'm Tom, Dick, and Harry. Yep. The J Squared Show today, or J Cubed with me, I guess. Uh, oh, that's true. So uh, to keep things straight for our audio listeners, since both of our guests are named John and both are Marx Brothers characters in The Coconuts, uh, I will refer to them with their last name, as, or at least last initial well. So John Plumpus, welcome. Thank you. And John Wiscovich, welcome. Hello. Nice uh, to be here. Uh, so jumping right in, uh, to talk about The Coconuts today... Um, well, f- actually, first, uh, John P. Uh, <laughs> yes. This is going to be so hard for me to do. <laughs> Give us, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, maybe your uh, theatrical career a little bit, where, uh, where you're from, uh, school, uh, other places. I mean, we've got a bio and stuff that we'll talk in the, op- the, the right. audience or in the opener, but just tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, I got into the theater originally to get girls. Naturally. And, um, <laughs> in high school, and that continued into college, and then, um, I mean, this is the, the very truncated version, then it, it, it continued into college, and then when I was in undergraduate school at the University of Rochester studying politics, not the theater, I was taken under wing by a couple of actors from the Royal Shakespeare Company, a woman named Estelle Kohler and her um, husband, uh, Bill Homewood, and they kind of took me under wing and said, you should do this, and um, before they left, the university, they gave me a little script of something called Pleasure and Repentance, which was an evening of, of theater, which was a, a made piece anthology of uh-huh. um, scenes and songs and poems and letters and essays. And um, the experience of doing that uh, was one that I saw something happen to a woman in the audience where she was so moved by something that was funny, but also bittersweet that I thought, I, by the end of the piece, I couldn't tell whether she was laughing or crying, and I thought, thankfully, I was like, aha, I'm awake for that, and that's something that's not available in the other things that I was considering doing in my life. And then, as luck would have it, when I went to the to graduate school for acting at the program that was then at the University of Wisconsin at Milwaukee and then moved to the University of Delaware, and there have been tons of my classmates and 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 um, graduate school um, compatriots um, who've come through the festival. While we were there, the first thing we did for the first week was we sat around and we talked about three questions. Does the theater make a difference? What's the possibility of the theater? And who am I in the matter? And everything sort of followed from that. And then I just started doing plays, and I've gotten to work all over the country, I've traveled internationally to Japan with the Suzuki Company. I've worked in Canada. 
and I've gotten to um, work in theaters. He has the hiccups. Okay, but I have hiccups. <laughs> it's only once. It's just it, once. It's done. Uh, it's done. I'm sorry. Um, yeah. I've gotten to work on that question. Does the theater make a difference? And um, I would say list, people listening to this podcast like are the proof of that because the theater's made a difference. That brought them to like tune in and to pick this up, download it, whatever. And um, yeah, it's been... That's maybe a different answer from what you thought I was going to no. say in terms of like where you've worked, what you've done, blah, 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 blah. And I've gotten to work in some fancy things from tours of Broadway shows to uh, plays in basements in New York. But always trying to figure out how uh, can maybe make things better. I know that sounds Pollyannish, but it's true. It's the only thing that keeps me going, getting getting me out of bed. Because on a day-to-day basis, the business is built to um, kill your <laughs> to sense keep, of creativity. To keep you in bed, away, yeah, yeah, away from that <laughs> and yeah. your happiness. Uh, well, that's a perfect segue, I think. Uh, and I kind of want to hear from both of you. So I love the idea that what drives you is this, you know, does theater matter? And I think we all have answers to that question. But usually I think when people hear the question or think about does theater matter, you're thinking about, you know, heavy, weighty, arty pieces that makes a, that, that's clearly making a difference perhaps in a social setting or a social construct. But not all theater's that way. And here, <laughs> what's brought you together and what we're talking about is the coconuts. So my question for you is, for you, how does that, how does the coconuts answer that question of, does theater matter as you uh, have spent so much time in the characters and working on the show and performing for many different audiences this year in Cedar City? You, you want to hear from me on that? Yeah, both of you. All I right. think in, in either any order. Sure, John W. here. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think totally it's, it's been proven over and over again that theater as an escape is much needed. I mean, without it, I, I don't think the country really would have gotten out of the Depression era. I mean, I think that... Theater and arts and, and films were so important for people. They needed that escape. They needed, they needed joy um, in such a frightening and scary time. And it's, you know, it, it helps keep the balance of the of human nature. You can't constantly always be, even when things are bad. You you need some joy. So I think the coconuts is such a great piece because. Um, we are a piece that was written during that time, <laughs> or well, uh, sorry, right, right before, right before, right before excuse me, um, and so things were just about to 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 get to that that really low low level. And I mean, I don't think we're definitely not as in low of a state right now in our country, but there are definitely some scary things yeah, going. <laughs> I know yeah. that's, that's we the just thing. came out of yeah. the Great Recession, which yeah, is yeah, you know yeah. the little the little sibling to the Great Depression. Yeah, and. And I think I think it's great that this piece still holds true. The almost gosh, wow, almost a hundred years later, which is the first time I've really thought about that. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> 90, 90 yeah. years later. Yeah. Ninety years later. You know, I, I agree with John, and I think that you're right. Like that when we think about the theater making a difference, it sounds like this dun dun dum yeah. thing. Yeah. But that actually isn't the way I think about it. I think about it like when people say, you want to make a difference, make a difference at home. You want to make a difference, make a difference with your family. You want to make a difference, make a difference on your block, in your building, in your in your neighborhood. And um, so I don't think of it as, I do think of it as an instrument for social change, but I don't think of it as a tidal wave. I think of it as these little droplets that eventually, you know, like these canyons nearby, make 
a huge difference. And um, like John said, you know, this escapist thing, but, but also, you know, maybe putting a finer point on it is that everybody's got stuff. You know, your mom is sick, your kid's in trouble, your boss is a jerk, your wife or your husband are like having a tough time and it's getting all over you and it's difficult. And if you can go to the theater and have a little bit of fun and escape that and recharge your battery so you can go back to work, go back to your family, go back to the stuff of your everyday, a little bit um, more buoyant, that's useful and helpful. And I think the other thing is, that in terms of like the plot of this play, mm. there's not a lot of plot, but what there is is this. There's these, you know, there's that great line in uh, Midsummer Night's Dream, the, the course of true love never did run smooth. And that's what happens to these this couple in the play, right? They want to be together, and there's this impediment of family and money and this, yeah? But the plot is thin, and there's a whole lot of comic mayhem and anarchy and mess all around it, just like there is in life. And I think, without putting, I don't think we play the play heavily, <laughs> but what's true is the message of the play way underneath is it's going to be okay. That there is mayhem every single day. You get out of bed and you have your day planned a certain way and all sorts of stuff happens. And then you do get to go home and things calm down. And like, I think the lesson in this play is don't worry. You know, there will be mayhem. There will be anarchy. There will be a mess. Um, but in the end, if you keep communicating, if you keep on, if you stay true to what you want and what your commitment is, it will be okay. And it's a comic examination of the anarchy and mayhem of daily life. Other plays, Titus Andronicus is a tragic examination of that, but this play is not. And um, they're both valuable. Totally. And it, I think this, going back to this question of like, does the theater make a difference? It can make a difference through laughter. I once had a teacher say to me, if you change the audience's breath, then you've changed them. And if you make people laugh, you're shifting the way they breathe. You know, and that's like a practical, true thing. It's not like oogie boogie, like, oh, you're changing the No, for real. You change the way they, if they, if they laugh, they, you've changed their breath. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Plus, we're also attractive. We'll just take your breath away, period. I mean, it's, <laughs> totally. It's going to happen. Yeah. So let's talk about that laughter and that mayhem. John P., you play Groucho, and John W., you play Zeppo, Zeppo's character, uh, uh, and, I mean, even in the show, it's Mr. Hammer and... Um, Jamison. Jamison. Jam yeah. Well, well uh, Jamison. So, uh, what was it like sort of diving into these iconic tr tr characters that have been around, as you say, this show's been around almost 100 years. Uh, there's films and parodies and all these kind of things. What was it like? So, what was sort of your process for diving in and examining and looking at these uh, traditional characters and finding that mayhem? Gosh, do you want to start? Or I mean, I mean, your you have you have, your 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 trajectory is very different. I mean, I think it's definitely there's there's a little bit of 
I don't want to say fearfulness, but I mean, because they are such iconic characters, you very kind of early on have to be like, am, am I just going to verbatim repeat what they did? Am I just going to be a carbon copy? Am I just going to give a very kind of like two-dimensional performance of these people that have already been done, what they've already done? Or are we going to really make this piece our own? And I think very early on, everyone in our process, you know, we all were very aware that this was going to be our version of the coconuts. No one was, mm -hmm. no one has ever seen a groucho like this, you know, no one had ever seen a harpo like this. And, and so, and I think with my character is a little different because my character is the combination of two characters from sure. the movie. So they they had taken the Zeppo character, which had about like two or three lines in the movie, was kind of just there, I think, because they were like, here, Zeppo, we're going to like throw you yeah. a bone in this mm -hmm. one. And then um, the romantic lead, uh, whose name was Robert, and so they took Jamison, the Zeppo character, and Robert, and turned him into Robert Jamison in this version of The Coconuts. So um, he's a mixture of... Two very different characters, because in this one he's a he's a very poor bellhop slash clerk. Whereas in the movie, the character of Robert actually seemed, although he wasn't a, an architect yet, like he seemed to have some money. He was at this yeah, hotel where everyone else had a lot of money and was right, staying, right. was wearing very nice suits. So it, it's different. I, I kind of got to make a lot more decisions with my character than I thought that I was going to originally be able to when I found out that I was playing Zeppo. Um, well, and Zeppo, too, is not, like, there isn't, unlike unlike Harpo, Chico, and Groucho, there isn't this um, iconic, iconic persona yeah. Yeah, not at all. It's true. who he is, what he spoke like, what he moved like, what his general M.O. was in totally. all of the movies or, or all the work. Um, you know, for me, it was, it was daunting um, at first when David first called me. Um, and we had a quick conversation. Well, we had we had a conversation about it, about doing the play, and and that I should think, and 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 I did think about it, and I came back to him and I said the following, and and this is sort of how it played out: is that I'm not a mimic. Uh, I'm an actor. I'm not an impersonator. So what I can do is I have a good ear for dialogue. I have a good ear for the rhythm and music of things. And these, this kind of comedy is something I do a lot, mm -hmm. sort of old-fashioned comedy. So I knew how to play the sort of music of Groucho's delivery. And I could do enough signature sort of moves, the walk, the, the um, you know, stances, um, things like that. Cigar choreography. Cigar yeah. choreography, <laughs> yeah. you know. And, of course, the, the mustache <laughs> yeah. and, and eyebrows. So I, I feel like... What I did and what I think you you have to do, unless you're an incredible mimic, I think if you're a mimic or if you want to do an impersonation, you spend way too much time doing that and you don't really deliver the play. Totally. And so, and that for me would have taken my attention in a completely different direction. I think the thing would have been dead. It would have been uh, precise, 
but dead. That one, and it doesn't have the same. The audience experience isn't as well good either, because we know we can tell the difference between uh, a, a, a playing a role and, be, and mimicking or recreating a role, yeah. and it's not as engaging because it's not as engaging for you. No, the thing that thing then you end up marveling like at like oh how is that being done rather than being engaged in the play yeah, and yeah, yeah, following yeah. the movement of the showing and going along with the plot. So for me, it was really about doing a few signature things, and then bringing. John P. <laughs> to the uh, to the mix and 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 going forward that way and playing the play. So, but it is it is daunting because um, most people have been super generous about my Groucho in quotations. Um, but it is daunting because this is the a person who really established what American comedy was in the early part of the twentieth century. Mm-hmm. You know, and so you have a big responsibility, and then you sort of have to. Set it aside and yep. like, just, just let do it. it. Go. Yeah. Yep. Uh, as I watch the show, um, I can't help but see sort of the seeds. You, you know, you just talked about this was the, the this was an icon of American comedy in the you know the twenties and thirties, and it set up so much. It was it was the seeds of so much comedy stylings in the future. And it's interesting having Coconuts and The Odd Couple hmm. in the same season because they're not the same kind of play, but at the same time. There's like seeds of comedy oh, gosh. that are sowed in coconuts that you can see evolved over time. Mm-hmm. And people like Sid Caesar and, and Neil Simon and others were reaping the benefits of those seeds 20, 30, 40 years later. And then even now, uh, it's, it's evolved again. John uh, P., specifically, since you're in both shows, did you, do you feel, was there any sort of mental connection for you between the two as you were working on them? Or, you know, you mounted one and then were starting the other, but... Uh, absolutely, and there are actually um, antecedents of it in Shakespeare plays, um, in terms of um, the way jokes are set up and then delivered and stuff. But, you know, um, I had the good fortune a number of years ago, gosh, 20 years ago now, to work with Neil Simon. Uh, one-on-one, well, not one-on-one, but in a rehearsal of a, of a play that I was doing of his. Um, but you can hear these sort of, for instance, there are musical setups of uh, it's not this, it's not this, it's not this. What is it? Oh yeah, it is that. Mm-hmm. You know, and you you get these things and so they're they're um you know things in threes or musical setups of I have this great thing in um odd couple where I say um Murray says he's gonna do something. I know he's gonna try to kill himself and I say, Murray will you will you shut up for two seconds for no, no. <laughs> he says. He says. Uh, he says about Felix. I know Felix. He's gonna. He's gonna. He's gonna try to kill himself. And I say, Murray, will you shut up for two minutes? Stop being a cop. Where'd he go, Oscar? And Oscar says he went out to kill himself. <laughs> Which is, you can't. If he doesn't. If the actor playing Oscar, David or Brian, don't sort of go underneath and undercut that, then it kills the joke. But that's a very Groucho thing to do. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Totally. Yeah. You think you're going to kill yourself? I'm going to kill you first. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like da 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 And that's all in there. And and Neil Simon actually worked his early part of his career was a middle ground between those guys because the 20s and 30s we had the, the Marx brothers. In the 50s, uh, Neil Simon, Woody Allen, Sheldon Keller, Carl Reiner, um, uh, Mel Brooks, uh, Mel Brooks all wrote for um, Sid Caesar. Uh-huh. And then out of writing for Sid Caesar, Neil started to write plays. And you can hear and see these three steps right in there. And they're just three steps 
that started in Shakespeare and maybe even the Greeks too. I mean, this kind of um, wise guy comedy, mm-hmm. I would call it, <laughs> and verbal dexterity, that's ages old. I think from the first time somebody said "ugh," somebody made fun <laughs> ugh? of them. And oh, said, ugh. Ugh? Yeah, you know, ugh. yeah, yeah. It's well, a human thing to to mimic and to make fun and to to play with sense and sound. Well, and I think you know, I'm really glad you brought, talked about setup because my next question for John W. is, you know, Zeppo J- Jemison is the you know the, in the theater parlance, it's the straight man, the setup guy. Yeah. yeah. The, the jokes. Uh, Start in a grounded, you know, jokes and bits start in a grounded place and then get taken lots of other places. Harpo, Chico, and uh, Groucho are the beneficiaries of that. What? Talk about the sort of setup of the, 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 is there a precision? Is there, to create that musicality that John was just talking about, to create that rhythm and balance that is as old as language, talk about it from, not just from the goofy and the, the delivery setup, but the, from the straight man perspective. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I think that uh, Melissa, Rain Anderson, our director, was very much on the musicality from like day one as well. Um, and so we had a lot of, especially John P and I, had a lot of secondary rehearsals together where oh, it was yeah, just the right. two of did, us. Yeah. Um, kind of basically just, we would, I mean, gosh, we did, I think there was one rehearsal where we did our first scene together at least like 10 times in a row. And it was just like, keep going, keep going. We just like kept going and going and going and doing it because it just, you know, it's, there are, there are certain lines where there are certain things where you kind of think like, oh, if I take like a minute break in this line here of mine, or if I, if I completely follow grammatically what makes sense, like with a comma being there, if I even take a pause, you know, that won't be a big deal. But we, it was very, I think kind of with this kind of comedy, the timing is everything. And so we found that it was just to set him up was just to like keep the communication going. Mm -hmm. So every time in our first scene, it was, it was like, just keep on what you have to play. You know, in in the first scene, Jameson is is hounding Mr. Uh, Hammer for money that he owes him, that he rightfully owes him. And so just keep playing the, the objective that you want your money, keep playing it minimize as much space as possible and it, it like suddenly like the scene went from when we had been doing it in rehearsal of this kind of like Bleh, to like it was it was funny it was it was so much fun it's just it's as a as a straight man like I think some people think that it is just such a kind of um thankless job but it's it's really it's really fun you you know you're such a part of it that even though they're getting the laugh you're like you know you you're helping you're helping your fellow actor and that that in itself is one of the best feelings mm-hmm. of being an actor is being like I am there for this other person I'm helping aid them and in, in their I, I don't want to say success because success in acting is completely subjective but I'm aiding them in their um trajectory mm-hmm. during th- throughout their show and so it's that that rehearsal was very was very turning for me, yeah. I think, as, uh, as, as what to do with this show, what, and, and kind of, you know, it, it was just, it was a great lesson, I thought. No, I think you're absolutely right about, you know, saying that you're partially responsible for the success. Mm-hmm. You, you are. If the setup isn't there. Oh, it, yeah. It, yeah, it, yeah. The, the joke can't, yeah. the kite can't fly without the string. Yeah, you know, you've got, you've got to have that. Yeah. yeah. And what John said is really interesting about, you know, staying staying on his objective playing his objective saying like wanting the money the more earnestly he plays 
the more in relief to my ridiculous totally uh, my ridiculousness are his answers because the more earnestly and honestly and truly and sort of innocently he plays it that makes more space like if he plays it if he doesn't play it earnestly it closes up the space between um, that er, that let less um, less amount of earnestness and my ridiculousness. The more totally. earnestly he plays, it creates the space between that and ridiculousness. And that's the setup. It's like throwing a big fat pitch over the plate and allowing the person to hit the ball. If yeah. you're trying to be fancy and throw a lot of different mm -hmm. like moving balls and stuff, mm -hmm. they're harder to hit. Yeah. Throw it straight, throw it fast, mm -hmm. don't put anything on it, be yep. neat and clean. That's uh, that's the 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 um, the clue to it, and it's hard to do because the actor's um, yeah. <laughs> the actor's Here. thrownness, the actor's desire is to to do more, yep. yeah, to make it better, to improve yep. it, and it's just and it's not no, it's not, not at helpful, all. you know, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's completely yeah, I, I, yeah, what you said about the space is like completely true. The the more earnest. The, the setup is, especially in this show, because of the way that the characters are set up, it just, it gives such a wide range for them to complete, like, ricochet, boing, 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 like right. all the ridiculousness yeah. that then your lines are in response. It's... You need differences between characters. If you think of Abbott and mm -hmm. Costello, oh, yeah. if they were both like uh, Lou, Costello, mm -hmm. it wouldn't be funny because you'd have two guys who were both being ridiculous. The ridiculousness comes in the stretching apart of this guy being serious and this guy not understanding or this guy mm -hmm. being serious and this guy sending it up or whatever it is but you've got to make that space it's um truly like the eastern thing of like the yin and the yang mm -hmm. it's you can't mm -hmm. have one without the other you just don't you just don't awesome well the last thing i wanted to sort of put out there for you is uh when we talked to melissa uh one of my favorite it's one, she gave one. She wrote one of the, my favorite director's sort of concept notes I'd ever read. The first paragraph was her describing this elaborate uh, world of these kids in this yard playing mm -hmm. and going crazy, and the mom calling them in for dinner, and it never really happening because they keep like whirling themselves into this hilarious role. And she's like, "Well, that's the show." And I guess <laughs> in this analogy, I'm the mom. <laughs> uh, what was it like, sort of working with Melissa as your mom, managing the mayhem and managing this? push-pull stretch that you've talked about specifically. We talked a little bit with Jim and Tasso about it, but I want to hear what your perspective is knowing that propensity to grow and to make things broad and to make things uh, your own. What was the relationship like with you and Melissa as you created this world for both of you? Well, I, it was, she knows her stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, it, it's interesting. I mean, I sort of feel like any good director does this, and she did this, is she sort of is the outside eye and says, yeah, you know, a little more of this, a little less of that, and really sort of guided us through. And look, it it is mayhem, mm -hmm. but it's a controlled mayhem. Yeah. If it really, we've had a couple of things, and not like <laughs> other productions that I've heard about, but like we've had a couple of things where things get out of hand, especially like in the bidding scene. Yeah. But we've got to, I noticed the other night we had like, out of control bidding from the audience. And it made the other people in the audience really um, uncomfortable mm -hmm. because they thought the other people, I don't know what they thought, the other people yeah. were, were getting out of hand, made them uncomfortable, didn't, they didn't know whether they were weak. Yeah, I was saying, that was the question is, could you maintain control? Yeah, and while the theater 
I feel like going way back to the beginning, like should make a difference and should provide some danger. You don't want people feeling like the thing is out of control and they don't know that they feel unsafe or they feel ill at ease in front yeah, of, yeah. Uh, next to one another or in front of the actors. Um, and I pride myself on striking that balance between having them have a great deal of fun, but having them be at ease. And going back to your question, I think Melissa was great at sort of being our barometer and saying, you can go this far in one direction, you can go that far in another direction. Um, she said an interesting thing to me, and I think she's so right. When we did the read-through, after working on music for a couple of days, um, I had written down all these notes, improvisational things, mm -hmm. references and stuff. And um, she urged me to throw them out and only address what was happening in the room at the time. I had political stuff. I had, But then you run the risk of like people's taste in a particular region, on a particular night, whether something is still topical or not, whether they get it or not. Mm -hmm. But they'll always get the thing that's going on in the room. Yeah, yep. And that was um, another of many valuable things that she um, uh, gave to me to sort of, yeah, let's play, but let's play in the playground and address only what's in the playground. And when I mean in the playground, I don't mean on the stage, I mean in the room at large, the people in the light and the people uh, in the dark. Uh -huh. And that was um, super useful. That's a great note. Yeah, and kind of like any good mom, I mean, no, no one's mom, uh, you know, or that like fun mom down the street who like you know was there to like take you to soccer practice be like want to come over for dinner sure like that one you know she, the the great side about her too is that she that mom always does let you play so I think that was like the other great thing about Melissa was although she was there to call us in for dinner along with that analogy or to set the parameters. She totally also, like, if there were days where we were kind of like a little lackluster, she was like, come on, guys, like, let's play. Yeah. Like, she totally, like, she was so encouraging and so, um, she, she wanted it to be, you know, fun and she wanted us to find the joy in all the moments and the, that we had to find and keep it, keep it light and fresh and fun. And, um, I think any good mom does that, <laughs> you know? Awesome. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, thank you for your time today. We uh, hope you have a great rest of your run in Coconuts and Odd Couple and Murder for Two. Both. Thank you. Uh, thanks for spending some time to talk with us. Today. Yeah, man, let's open the scotch. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for listening to another episode of the Play On Podcast. Be sure to go back and listen to past interviews on the festival webpage, bard.org. Check out the latest episode released every Friday with your favorite directors, actors, and designers from our 2016 season. Thank you.